0: Welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast I am your host, Justin Jackson And remember you can find the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify And remember to follow the Twitter page, at Sports For breaking news, updates on the show, and breaking news in the sports world in general In today's episode, I will be discussing some NFL news in terms of last week and this current week in the NFL I'll be touching on Jack's Pack, our NFL betting segment I will be discussing some NBA news that is going down, which seems to be left and right. I'll be talking about the NCAA versus COVID and how they're dealing with it and what's happening in college sports in general. And then we'll have our best for last. And I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. All righty, guys. And welcome into an absolutely... Loaded show Absolutely packed On a Friday I bring you the Justin Time Sports Podcast And as always I am your host Justin Jackson Now last night we had a very Well I expect it to be A very competitive game Between the New England Patriots And the Los Angeles Rams This is the Patriots second game in LA Obviously last week they annihilated The Chargers 45-0 to probably ending Anthony Lynn's reign as the Chargers coach. However, it was a bit different this time. The Rams dominated from start to finish. Honestly, the game swung on the pick six that wasn't by the New England Patriots. The cornerback made a great play on the ball. And what we thought was a pick six, it wasn't an interception, but instead of making it 10-7, to 7, it was 10-0, to 0. then the Patriots don't score on the ensuing drive, and then not too long after that, it's a pick six thrown by Cam Newton on a screen pass, where Aaron Donald makes an amazing play, and he won't show up in the stat sheet, but Aaron Donald grabs Harris, trying to leak out of the backfield for the screen, which is legal, it's behind the line of scrimmage inside the tackle box, and the ball floats past Harris, who was trying to fight away from Donald. Well, Cam was getting rushed. He flicks it to where Harris was supposed to be, and he gets picked six. It goes 17-0, and the game is over. So this offense for the Patriots is not equipped to overcome a holding call on a drive. I mean, if it's first and 10, and the Patriots get a holding call and go to first and 20, i look at my sideline and go, punt ready, punt ready, because this Patriots offense cannot overcome any disruptions on the drive. As for the Rams, I think McVay, for one of the few times probably in history of football, Bill Belichick was outcoached. Sean McVay came out with a clear game plan. He clearly wants to run the ball at this Patriots line. He clearly wants to run the ball at this Patriots defense that is missing Guys like Dante Hightower, lost Jamie Collins, don't have guys like Patrick Chung who stick their nose in there and really make an impact. Although with a lot of Patriots who discover a guy like JC Jackson, you have, you know, you're missing some of your big run stoppers. They lost a lot of guys in terms of depth with their eight opt-outs, and the Rams took advantage of it. The Rams, as we know, Sean McVay is an 11 personnel machine. For those people who don't know what 11 personnel is, that's one tight end, one running back, three wide receivers. He, that's just what he does he's just, he's just an 11 personnel guy I mean when he first came in the league when they took over went to the Super Bowl to face the Patriots he was running 11 personnel something like 90 something percent of the time I mean even his goal line personnel was 11 personnel it was just it, what it was it was Ty Gurley it was Cooper Cup it was Brandon Cooks it was Robert Woods and I think Joe Everett was tight end in, in that year if memory serves me correctly but that's who's on the field that's just it's what it was Against the Patriots, he came out in a lot of two tight end sets. He pulled a receiver off the field. It was a lot of two tight ends, two receivers, one back. That was the first time in Sean McVay's coaching career he's done something like that. You clearly tell it caught the Patriots off guard because in the Super Bowl, he ran its 11 person with a lot of the stretch run concepts and the Patriots by using things like the amoeba line where nobody's got a hand in the dirt or one person does by using things where... He was so spread out basically up front With outside contained so close To the edge of the line of scrimmage You couldn't run outside Well McVay said forget that You're not doing that to me this time Put tight ends on the field Two tight ends at all times Or it felt like it It was over half the time They showed the stats In the third quarter Where he had more two tight end sets Than his famous 11 personnel sets He was looking more Kyle Shanahan and San Fran As opposed to McVay in la but it was a lot of two tight end sets by using the second tight end and they were using creative motions they were over completely overflowing one side well it doesn't matter who's out there if they end up putting seven blockers on five people it doesn't matter how much quote-unquote contain you have you don't have enough bodies i mean it's it's impossible to contain i mean they can just keep bouncing outside because they're knocking people out as they flow over So it was an ingenious coaching strategy By Sean McVay Clearly he had a game plan He implemented it Something like that usually does not happen On a short week Usually when you have a Sunday game And then you play a a Thursday game Especially because LA just beat A Cardinals team that was a huge win for them um, Usually you don't change Your strategy That much in four days Uh, Implementation is usually hard Uh, You usually want to be really good at what you're good at. And they decided to go on a whole new strategy and dominated the Patriots offensive line, dominated them defensively. It was a great game by the Rams. From the Patriots' perspective, your season's over. Um, I'm a Patriots fan, for those of you who don't know. I'm a Patriots fan. And earlier in the season, I wanted us to tank. I did. I wanted us to tank, and then we got hot there for a second, and so I was like, screw it, go for the playoffs. The only problem is, if you don't get in the playoffs, you're now where the Patriots are in the doldrums of existence. Even if they lose out every game the rest of the season, they're going to pick 12-13. Not a bad pick, but you can get Pineso out of Oregon, who is the best tackle in football, the best tackle in college football. You won't get Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith, I mean, you might have a chance, Terrence Marshall, in terms of receiving. All the quarterbacks are going to be gone by thirteen. I mean, maybe Mac Jones or Kyle Trask is still there, but yeah, you've seen the Patriots roster. You've got more problems than quarterback, and Cam Newton is not playing great. But is would I be opposed to Cam Newton being the quarterback next year? Absolutely not, especially with the cap space the Patriots are going to have and the draft picks hit on four or five draft picks better starters preferably three on the offensive line and you use the cap space to fill in defensive pieces and a, and a weapon or two yeah cam newton will look fine you can win 11 games running the ball and playing defense they've done it before they can do it again but as of right now they're probably going to finish eight and eight which give you pick 14 15 And it'd be interesting to see what Belichick decides to do. And he might even trade out of the first round because he knows he's not great at drafting, or at least he should know. I mean, they showed a graphic last night where there had a no, there's only two receivers left in the NFL, period. Since Belichick has been drafting the last 10 years that he's drafted receivers, only two are left. Now, Malcolm Mitchell was a very unfortunate case. He had a lot of promise, was great in the community, and had an unfortunate injury. But the rest of them just weren't good. I mean, I'm a Patriots fan. I didn't recognize half the names. So it's something definitely that the Patriots will have to look at in this offseason. And it'd be interesting to see what they do with the, one of the most, if not the most, cap space in the league. Their are eight opt outs returning. And you probably will have a 500 record. I mean, eight and eight for them is incredibly possible. You probably have a 500 record. So that'll be something to watch there, if not seven and nine. Moving to just a few storylines, not necessarily games, the Pittsburgh Steelers lost. Breaking news, 1972 Dolphins, we've already seen Larry Zonka popping the champagne in celebration of the the last team undefeated. They they do it every year when the last team loses. Uh, They had to wait a long time, 2007, had to wait until February, but they popped champagne to celebrate they're the only team undefeated ever. It's the sailors lost the team was a lot of holes. Mike Tomlin has been trying to motivate them, I and mean, he said they suck against Baltimore. You know, players aren't making routine plays routinely because they lead the league in drops. I mean, by a large margin, I mean, it's like they've got butter on all their gloves. It's bad, and it's not necessarily hard passes, it's like little five yard outs where they're turning basically turning their head before they catch it, and the ball drops. It's just it's not great. Now they're suffering injuries all over the place. I mean, this linebacking core was one of the best in the league, if not the best in the league, were led by T.J. Watt, and Bud Dupree, and others. Bud Dupree's out to an ACL. They suffered another injury in the game. T.J. Watt's a monster. He's like leading the league in sacks, quarterback hits, and hurries. Like If it's a pass rushing stat, T.J. Watt probably leads in it, but it, it's getting to the point where, okay, how, what is it gonna take for you to start doubling T.J. Watt? They don't really have a backside rusher. The secondary is good, but it's really built on the fact that TJ Watt or somebody like that is getting home. So that'll be interesting to watch in Pittsburgh. Now they've got a tough Buffalo team in which they have to win that game. I mean, if you're Pittsburgh, you can go from undefeated to one game away from Cleveland in terms of the division in two weeks. Not only that, but you lose the number one seed, which an older Big Ben throwing the ball 45 times because the Steelers can't run it, like at all, throwing the ball 45 times, you're gonna need all the breaks you can get for Big Ben and his arm to allow it to rest. I'm not sure if they know how dangerous they're close to not having a bye, because if the Chiefs win, the Bills beat the Steelers, now the Chiefs own the tiebreaker because again, they do common opponents first. So right now, the Steelers have the number one seed because the Steelers loss was out of conference being that it was to a very underrated Washington team, especially with that defensive front. But the Chiefs lost to the Raiders. So right now, the Steelers have it because of conference record. But if the Steelers lose to the Bills, the conference records are even and the common opponent would be the Bills who the Chiefs already beat. So... The Steelers will be effectively two games behind the Chiefs with four left or three left or something like that. You don't have enough time. I hope the Steelers play with a sense of urgency. Speaking of those Chiefs, they have a big game this weekend as well. Look, the Kansas City Chiefs are a team that at sometimes they appear to be sleepwalking. like They're just trying to get through the season. But because they're trying to get through the season, it's about time to ramp it up. It's week 14. You've got to get your foot on the gas. You've got to get rolling. They are absolutely monstrous right now. They suffocated Drew Locke. I mean, Drew Locke suffocated himself a little bit there, but they know that they are very close to a NFL and an AFC advantage and having the number one seed in in the AFC. Number one seed in the AFC. Are you picking anybody to go to Arrowhead and beat them? I'm not. I mean, you're picking anybody to go into Arrowhead in general and beat them. I think they're the best team in the AFC. Any debates? I mean, we've seen Pittsburgh's flawed. Baltimore is not great. Whoever come out the AFC East has a clear flaw somewhere. I think his, I think Kansas City's going to go to the Super Bowl again, barring some sort of catastrophe. They know they have a big game this week, so that'd be interesting to watch there. Moving on to the NFC East, I, I just, I can't. The NFC East is weird, not not because the division winner is probably gonna have seven wins or less, which I said that, that most somebody to get to is six. So I'm actually quite impressed by this, but seven wins or less, which seven and nine for a division winner is not abnormal. We've seen it a few times, six and 10, or even five and 11 or five, 10 and one would have been abnormal. But seven and nine we've seen before. The Cowboys are done. When they lost, it was over. Not only did they lose, but they are so uninteresting that they've been bumped out of prime time for a game we'll talk about later in the Ravens and Browns. They've been bumped out of prime time. They're effectively done. They're spending a lot of money on a lot of good players. Not a lot of great. Demarcus Lawrence, $21 million. For what? Jalen Brown's making a lot of money. Haven't seen him make a difference. Zeke Elliott? Yeah, Tony Pollard looks better half the time. Amari Cooper? He called a pass on the road, and it was almost breaking news. The offensive line is old and injured, it's just, and you still haven't even gotten your quarterback signed to a deal, which if you don't sign him, it's $37-odd million. And if you do sign him, it might cost you 40 in a situation where you don't have a lot of cap space to begin with. You pretty much rob Peter to pay Paul, and... Not Paul's Bills do, similar to the Saints, where they kept doing shuffling money around to try and win one with Drew, another one with Drew, rather. You're pretty much in a spot where you're out of money and you gotta keep this in the sign like your quarterback. Now like I said, it's been kicked around before that should they trade Dak and their own pick to New York to get Trevor Lawrence, go from there, yeah that might help you. That'll save you some money. It doesn't fix your offensive line problem or your defensive problem or your your coaching problem. But I mean, hey, it'll, it'll solve your money problem to an extent. Instead of paying quarterback 30, let's call it 38 and a half million, you'd pay him like five or nine. Nowhere near the amount you would pay because of the rookie scale. Now, if it was the olden days. Trevor Lawrence might have walked in the door commanding 27 and a half. Like, he, would have walked, he would have walked in the door getting Jimmy Garoppolo money at least because they wouldn't have had a cap. I mean, Jamarcus Russell, way back in his day, was getting almost what Garoppolo's making now. He was like one of the highest-paid quarterbacks in the league. Same thing with Sam Bradford. So, it'll be interesting to see what Dallas does. I know Jerry said he's a big fan of Dak, and he also makes a statement of when he ever not seen me get one of these done. Well, Jerry, time's ticking. You got to do something. Washington and New York are clearly over your division. I mean, you didn't know about Philly, but I mean, Washington and New York clearly have better infrastructures. They have better talent right now than you. And well, Jerry, you you're officially reached uninterestingville, which is a place you never want to be. As a cowboy owner, you probably care about getting bumped off primetime time more than you care about winning games right now. So that'll be very interesting to see how the Cowboys deal with that. And now, the QB controversy. Everybody's favorite QB controversy. Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts. I I vehemently, I cannot express enough how much I disagree with the decision of Doug Peterson here. It, why? Why? Why against the Saints defense? They, 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 this almost feels like sabotage. It feels like you wanted something. High Roseman said, no, we're going to draft Jalen Hurts. And you just said, F it. You're going to get what you want. And you put him in against the Saints defense. Now it's a home game for the Eagles. So it's thought he has to go into the Superdome. Although it's not the same Superdome as previously due to COVID. But I mean... You put them against Saints defense that since week nine is allowing less than nine points a game. They're first in points allowed, first in yards allowed, first in pass yards allowed, and they're like top five in sacks. I mean, this thing looks like the 0-1 Ravens. It's ridiculous. They're allowing less than nine points a game. And a rookie with a bad offensive line, receivers that can't separate, and, in my opinion, fifth-round talent, you, you put them against the Saints? Like why? I mean, again, if you're trying to get this over with like they did, like John Elway did with Tim Tebow, when the Broncos start off one and four before Tebow takes over, if you're just trying to do something like that, then just, okay, whatever. But if you're legitimately thinking that, yeah, Jalen Hurts could be a future of this team, why? And now you've got starters vehemently defending Carson Wentz in the media with Jason Kelsey and Fletcher Cox, like that doesn't happen for the guy who just got benched. I mean, you can't fool players, so do they see that Hurts is not that good? Like, there's something that's happening here. It's like, the, it's like the team got energized when Hertz started running around, but then in the media, when you made the switch official, the energy looked like it changed for everybody that had an interview. It looked like it was walking around on eggshells. Like, what is going on in Philly? I vehemently disagree the decision. I will not be shocked if I'm up here next week going, yeah, Hurts got sacked like 10 times, and hurt because He it's a bad matchup now. You've got cam Jordan one of the best patchers in the league Trey Hendrickson Who's top five right now in sacks? Coming around the edge Against who on the Eagles offensive line? He's already gonna be a rookie. They're gonna have Demario Davis and Kwon Alexander swarming everything he tries to do in the middle What is the plan? Philadelphia what is the plan there's no plan I mean you can't tell me there's a plan I I don't know I can't I'm, I'm baffled to say the least but moving off of that we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna come back to talk about the games for this upcoming weekend Alrighty guys and we are back and now we're just gonna do a little bit of game preview for this upcoming weekend of games Finally back on a normal schedule, you know the past few weeks we have had COVID movements Not necessarily complaining, we've had football literally Monday, Tuesday, we took a break and then we had Thursday and then we had a Monday, took a break On Tuesday, played Wednesday, Thursday, took a break Friday. Like football has been everywhere all over the place for the NFL. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. We've been getting football five out of seven days of the week if you count college. So it's just been spectacular all the way through for me. And it's even been, you know, Friday night college action. So, and then the Mac started showing back up. I mean, it was when we had football every day of the week. It was spectacular. And as an absolute football junkie, I was thoroughly excited about that. But moving back to the game preview, we're gonna start off with the Ravens and Browns. Now this game is huge for multiple reasons. If the Browns win this game, it puts a damper on the Ravens' playoff hopes and it ups the Patriots' playoff hopes because the Patriots' only real hope now is catching the Ravens for the wildcard spot. They're two games back, owning the tiebreaker because they beat them head-to-head. So the only hope the Patriots have now is to catch the Ravens for the wild card spot, which would be greatly helped if the Browns beat the Ravens. However, if the Ravens beat the Browns, that all but eliminates the Patriots out of the playoffs. That just takes them completely out of the race, and it basically gives the Steelers the division because now the Browns would be too many games back to catch them reasonably. If, if the Patriots, if the, Steelers, my apologies, just go 500 the rest of the way if the Browns were to lose to so the Ravens. So it is a huge game in terms of wild card seating for the Browns and the Ravens. Both of them will be wild card teams. I believe Pittsburgh will hold on to the division. Both of them are going to be wild card teams. So it'll be huge in terms of wild card seating, confidence going into the playoffs. And, like I said, for the third team, the Patriots, who could be interested in the result of that game because Baltimore is the seed that they could catch to still make the playoffs. Now, moving on to the Eagles and the Saints. This is going to be a game very interesting to watch. I don't think it's going to be a good game. I expect Taysom Hill, Alma Kamara, Michael Thomas, Cam Jordan, Trey Hendrickson, Marshawn Lattimore, Malcolm Jenkins, Quan Alexander... To make a big impact Demario Davis To be all over the field They're gonna Annihilate the Eagles If it's within 20 points I will be shocked Whatever the point spread is Take the Saints, teaser for Jax Pack I will be shocked If this game is anywhere close How? The Eagles got worse at quarterback And you didn't fix any of the other problems Like Carson Wentz isn't playing great I understand that He's not playing well I understand that But the nerves Of Doug Peterson to go Oh it's not a quarterback Only issue we're only going to change the quarterback Though What Like what So at this point Like I said I expect the Saints to beat them by like 24-30 points Whatever the point spread is take the Saints Again teaser for Jack's Pack I don't expect Jalen Hurst to do well. I consider him a fifth-round talent who got picked in the second round to the wrong organization. An organization clearly that's lost direction in the Philadelphia Eagles. And an organization that seems to have rested on their laurels coming from the Super Bowl. They haven't done anything since. Uh, GM Howard Roseman's only drafted one Pro Bowler since 2014. It's the quarterback they just benched, Carson Wentz. I mean, injuries are horrible luck. Jason Peters has been injured. Deshaun Jackson seems to never stay on the field for more than 10 plays. Alshon Jeffrey's done. Like It's over. Alshon Jeffrey's done. It's it's over. Move on with your life. I mean, it sounds harsh, but have we seen Alshon Jeffrey run? It's kind of like Dez Bryant. Have we seen Dez Bryant run? I mean, it, it, I, I vehemently remember Dez Bryant and Alshon Jeffrey running forward and the Cornerback was shuffling faster. Like the cornerback had to slow down his shuffle because the receiver wasn't getting to him. Like Alshon's done. When you look at that situation, I don't know how Jalen Hurts survives the game. Like I hope he's a. I know he's a tough kid. I don't. I don't know how he survives the game. Like I'm. I'm more physically scared for his health. Like this is not gonna go well. Like, and I hope he doesn't crush his confidence. It's a good chance he gets sacked seven or eight times in this game by the end of the third quarter. Like, this is not going to go where. He's going to get knocked around unless they come up with a run-heavy scheme and he's designed QB running. But even if he's designed QB running, unless he gets to the sideline, he's going to get hit. Like, this is—I this is I don't—I don't know what Doug is doing at this point. I think he knows he's on borrowed time. He's just trying to figure life out. This ain't great for the Eagles. I expect the Saints to win big Again, teaser for Jax Pack Cardinals and Giants Another game we will have in Jax Pack This is a huge game A monster game This is possibly the biggest game of the weekend If not the second biggest game With another game we'll talk about later Both in Jax Pack and in this segment This is a huge game For the Cardinals and the Giants Monster game For the Cardinals you have to keep pace You have to win this week If the Cardinals lose this week They lose basically all advantage they have Is the inside track to get the seven seed And make the playoffs For the first time in Kyler Murray's career And Cliff Kingsbury's coaching career You lose all inside track Now the Cardinals lost Chandler Jones They had a couple other things happen to them Institutionally To so where it just wasn't great for them But you have to get there Because the 49ers are coming I don't know how Kyle Shanahan's doing it with Robert Sala, but the 49ers are coming. And so if you don't get this together, the Vikings as well, they're coming too. They're in right now, but they have a pretty tough schedule. So let's just say they're still coming. And the Cardinals have an inside track. You have to win against the Giants because if you don't, now you're 6-7. What if the Vikings beat the Bucks? Where now you're in a very tenuous spot. And the Niners could win, get to the same record as you. Now you're in a very tenuous spot. So this is a huge game for the Cardinals. As for the Giants, another huge game because nobody is a wild card coming out of the NFC East. We can all accept that. Cool? Great. Can all accept that is fact. Because of which, the division winner is gonna be the only representative. You have to keep pace with Washington. Because Washington got a win I didn't see them getting, which is over Pittsburgh. So the Giants have to keep pace with the Washington football team, so they have to win this game as well and probably hope for a Washington loss to give them an inside track while they either play either Daniel Jones or Colt McCoy that I don't think that's been officially announced. So they're going to need an inside track as well and they need this game over the Cardinals. An absolutely huge game in the NFC for playoff implications. Another big game. Remember I spoke about earlier, the Chiefs had a tough matchup versus the Dolphins. It was an interesting matchup because the Bills play the Steelers. Like this is all tying in the playoffs now. The Bills play the Steelers. If the Steelers beat the Bills, that's a loss in the AFC East. It's huge. It's not a division loss, but a, lo- a team loss in AFC East. Then, let's say the Chiefs turn around and lose to the Dolphins. The Dolphins might end up in first place in the division because they would have a huge win over the Chiefs, who the bills lost to it's a division and it's a common opponent it'll be a division advantage because the dolphins and the bills have to play each other and if they split everything down the middle of the division they're you know four and two in the division or whatever then they would have the common opponent victory over the Chiefs. absolutely huge game between the chiefs and the dolphins now in retrospect or in juxtaposition for the Chiefs it's a huge game because again of the Steelers they are trying to get the first seed take the only bye in football and the entire playoffs would come through Arrowhead Stadium you have to win in Arrowhead in order to go to the Super Bowl that is an almost nearly impossible task even in an empty Arrowhead Stadium you have to come on the road and all that stuff, it's just hard to do to win a football game on the road. I mean, the only person that seems to have good success in it is John Harbaugh, who's actually won more road playoff games than home playoff games in his career for Baltimore. So he's comfortable doing it. Everybody else is, I mean, it's just not right. Ask, ask Brady and Belichick in their prime in New England. If they had to go on the road, they lost. I mean, they won all their Super Bowls having home field advantage through the playoffs because it's just, it's just hard to go on the road and win a playoff game. And the last game we'll talk about before shifting the Jazz Pack after the next break is Vikings and Bucks. This is a, again, another huge game in the NFL for a multitude of reasons. If the Tampa Bay Buccaneers lose this game after a bye week, you've had two weeks of practice to try and incorporate Antonio Brown smoother to try and figure out how to get a ball to Ronald Jones which I don't know how that's a hard decision, but trying to figure out how to get the ball to Ronald Jones, trying to do a meeting of the minds between Arians, witch and Brady, get a little more Brady's offense. The defense had time to lick their wounds after getting annihilated by the Chiefs, especially in the first quarter. You got some guys getting a little bit healthier, Jamil Dean is back, and you've had two weeks to prep for this same Vikings team. It's after a bye, it's one of the later byes Probably NFL history. I mean, I've never heard of a buy that's late. They're supposed to be done by Week 13, so they got like the latest buy possible. You have to win this game with the Bucks. You have to. You have to. Like, it's not in a situation where, oh, we could. L-. No, no. You have to win this game because if they lose, now their playoff spot is in jeopardy. Bigly, in the words of our president, their their playoff spot is in jeopardy, big time like it's not even like a foregone conclusion they make the playoffs if they lose to the vikings because they still got a good atlanta team i believe twice uh and by good i mean talented that can score points on you we've seen it done um so they're gonna have to do something tampa's gonna have to win this game it's huge minnesota Again, they're fighting for the playoff life They're in right now, they're the 7th seed But matchup predictions do not have them In the playoffs, they actually have Arizona Still making it Winning this game would put a huge Damper on the Cardinals chances Because that's a huge win, that's a win That probably the prediction would say Vikings might, if they played 100 times Vikings might win 15 of them I mean, if if I had to put odds on it I would be like 85% chance the Bucks Win the game, so it is a Huge Huge game for the Vikings if they pull it off, especially with the Bucks having the two weeks for the bye. Especially with you know what the Bucks are fighting for. They're fighting for this experiment to even be a success. Because the Bucks, a lot of people say the Bucks don't make the Super Bowl. It's a failure. I would say if the Bucks don't win a playoff game, it's a failure. If they don't make the playoffs, it is an abject, horrible failure, and heads are gonna roll. Bruce Arians might get fired. I don't know, it would just be An absolute catastrophe in Tampa If they don't make the playoffs Especially with this roster and that quarterback So That would be a very interesting Game to watch in the 1 o'clock Noon window But up next We are going to shift to Jack's Pack Which is our NFL betting segment Right after this quick break Hello everybody and welcome back in And so now we're going to touch on our NFL betting segment Jacks Pack Now last week was a positive week You know we've been struggling these past few weeks You know it ain't been great But last week we went 3-2 Our first positive week in a few weeks actually So this was a huge week for us to go positive Uh, Having a positive record we again, it hasn't been the kindest to us. The lines haven't been great and the performances have been even worse. So, hey, whatever, it happens. We we're three and two last week. We're gonna get this thing turned around. We're gonna try and get back to 500 before the season ends. But I like the numbers this week, they were kind to us this week. So, we're gonna see what we can do. Now, first game we're gonna discuss, we talked about it earlier, is Cardinals and Giants. It's a huge game for both. Giants are plus three I'm gonna go with the Giants there I think the Giants are gonna win this game now I would want now I want the Cardinals to win this game don't get me wrong I would love to see Kyler Murray in the playoffs but I think it's gonna be the Giants are gonna win this game or it might be something where like the Cardinals win by two but I just think the Giants are gonna win anyway so I'll pick the Giants there Texans versus Bears I don't know how this game's even I don't know how this game's pick them. I mean, I, I saw this game and went, I know what I'm doing. It was like, it was immediately, it was like, yep, that's easy. I'm going to go with the Texans here. Deshaun Watson's got to have a point to prove to the Bears organization. It's in Chicago. It's the first time they've played in Chicago since Deshaun Watson was passed over for Mitchell Trubisky. It's a pick'em. I'm going to go Houston here. I'm going to go Houston to win fairly comfortably. I mean, even if it was Bears plus three, I probably would have win Houston. Now Bears plus three and a half, probably go Chicago. But Houston is gonna win this game, so therefore, being a pick'em, I'm gonna go with Houston. And seriously, I have no idea this is a pick'em. Thank you, Vegas. Now, the next game we're gonna talk about is Vikings and Bucks. Like I said, we spoke about it earlier. Bucks are minus six and a half. If it was seven, still going Bucks. If it was seven and a half, I might have win Vikings. But six and a half, I think the Bucks are going to win this game by about a touchdown, by about seven. It's going to be close. I would go Bucks here eating the six and a half points. Um, again, it's a huge game for the Bucs. They've got two weeks to prepare. Bruce Arians is a good, not great coach. Good coaches tend to win off buys. Tom Brady is a machine in terms of preparation. Give him two weeks for the same defense. He's probably going to shred it apart. Um... Adam Thielen is going to be a problem. Justin Jefferson is going to be a bigger problem. But I think the Bucks are going to just flat out score 35 points, maybe 40 points on this Vikings team. And do I see Kirk Cousins answering with 33 to keep the spread close? I don't think so. So I would say, Bucks take the six and a half. Saints versus Eagles. Like I said earlier, in my tease, it did not matter what the point spread was, go with the Saints. It was one of those games where I don't see how the Eagles score 14, and I don't see how the Saints don't score 27. So unless the spread was 14 or 15, take the Saints. I mean, this is gonna be another one where it's just like the numbers was at thank you Vegas. And because of that, you know, Saints versus Eagles, take the Saints. Even though they're giving up six and a half points, I would go with the Saints here. Packers versus Lions, seven and a half for the Lions. I debated this decision back and forth. I mean, I'm mean looking at my notes, I don't even have one of them circled. It was definitely a debate back and forth, but if I was to choose one, which I am, I would go with the Green Bay Packers, even with seven and a half. Now the half is something to be careful with. If you get the number at seven, Definitely go with the Packers. Seven and a half is a little cause for pause. But hey, we need to start winning a couple of these to get back to 500. So I'm going to go with the Packers there. Uh, I think that you know Aaron Rodgers against that Lions defense. Now the Lions do not have a really, really strong run game. Adrian Peterson can score on the ground. DeAndre Swift's pretty solid. But the main advantage to get a lot of points on the Packers is running the ball. And I just don't see the Lions really sticking to that. Especially with Matt Patricia uh, out of there and Matt Stafford having, it seems to be more offensive control. He's really throwing the ball a little bit more. So I would go with the Packers plus seven and a half. The Packers minus seven and a half. So just to recap, Cardinals Giants take the Giants. Texans Bears take the Texans. Vikings Bucks take the Bucks. Saints Eagles take the Saints. Packers Lions take the Packers. Now up next we'll be jumping into some NBA coverage So just get ready for that It's been a crazy offseason and it's constantly developing Even right now as we speak Alrighty guys and welcome back into the show and now we're going to talk about A wild and crazy Continuous NBA offseason I mean honestly I thought I'd be done I thought like my last podcast would be no more big news You know maybe Giannis signs his extension But you know I mean I figured everybody Was done moving and shaking And of course it's the NBA So that never happens And James Harden saga continues He's now going from Brooklyn, 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 Brooklyn To uh, I go to Philly I go to Miami, I go to Milwaukee. He's looking to join a winning organization. I don't necessarily blame him. I mean, I don't know how his nightclub thing will work in Milwaukee, but I don't see how he can get to Milwaukee because they traded probably what they could've got James Harden for, they traded all that to Houston. They traded all that to New Orleans, I'm sorry, for Drew Holiday. Three first round picks, a couple of swaps, and two players. Uh, and then you involved another player Stephen Adams and stuff like that from OKC So you probably could have gotten Houston to deal you James Harden for that But you traded it off as your holiday so, so, so the bucks are out Because what you're going to trade for Bogdan Bogdanovich Is not enough to get James Harden So we're not even going to go down the Milwaukee path Miami is interesting Miami is the place that can be very interesting Along with another team he has a name, Jay. But Miami could be very interesting. The reason why Miami could be interesting is they have a lot of youth. They have Bam Adebayo, untouchable. We all agree on that. Jimmy Butler, untouchable. We all agree on that. Hello, everybody else. The Andre Iguodala's of the world, the Tyler Heros of the world, the Duncan Robinsons of the world, Kelly Olynyk, Myers Leonard, all those guys could be available. And you have a situation where they have a lot of draft picks. They have picks from other teams, from different situations. And there is going to be a lot of different packages that the Heat can offer. And then they can even bring a third and fourth team around to supplement some assets if they have to. So the Miami Heat's a very interesting situation. I don't know how James Harden, he'd love the nightclub life. I mean, he'd be on cloud nine going from Houston to Miami. I mean, he's good to go. But I don't know how he works in the Heat culture. Pat Riley has done an amazing job, along with Eric Spolster, of building a specific culture in Miami. And it's, I mean, you have to have a culture and environment in a, in a port city, in a coastal city, in a live and vibrant city like the Miami of the world and, you know, other cities like that. Houston's of the world even has to have strong city cultures, L.A.'s, because of the city you're in. There's a lot of distractions, a lot of different people pulling you in a lot of different directions, a lot of stuff outside the court. And so Harden continuing to live in a city like that would be good for him socially. And I don't know how he fits in the heat culture, however, dealing with Pat Riley and stuff like that. He's not used to being told no. I mean, there was a report that came out yesterday or the day before that said, you know, Harden not automatically jumping ship to Brooklyn is the first time he's ever been told no by the Houston organization. he wanted something they made it happen when he wanted something stopped it stopped happening when he wanted somebody in they were brought in when he wanted somebody fired they were gone or traded they were gone so this is the first time that he's been told no by the organization and because of that he is on a a tantrum basically he's not coming to camp he's at concerts he's at nightclubs now he's got to register something like six negative coronavirus tests in order to be even be allowed to practice with the team He's tanking Steven Silas's debut as a head coach. Now he's saying that, oh, no, 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 it wasn't that I didn't want Silas, I wanted Tyronn Lou. It's just, I mean, reportedly agents and players are not happy with how he's doing this at all. It's not a situation like Anthony Davis was still playing when he wanted out the Pelicans. I mean, James Harden is literally, basically, thumbing his nose at the Rockets, at Stephen Silas, at the NBA in general because he's not getting what he wants which i mean speaks to the culture of basketball in general especially at a young age but this is the first time we've seen a star basically just refuse to even comply by rules because he's not getting what he wants so that'd be interesting to watch uh philadelphia is interesting i just don't see what they trade um they have picks but the picks aren't very valuable they're usually in the playoffs and you're not getting probably Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid if you're Houston. So I don't see why you'd make the deal. You can't even get Seth Curry because he recently been acquired. And you have to wait, I believe, 90 days from the day his trade was official to trade him again. So it'd be very interesting to watch Harden saga. I mean, it's, I mean, I just can't get enough of this. It's James Harden, it's temper tantrums, it's people throwing hissy fits. It's, it's amazing. Now, I think a team to watch, even though their history says they won't do it, is Boston. Boston has all the draft picks on planet Earth. They kept draft picks. They repeatedly, over and over again, kept accumulating draft picks. And so I think a package centered around Jalen Brown, uh, Daniel Tice, Marcus Smart, and some draft picks might actually work. Grant Williams, maybe throwing Tremont Waters in there. Uh Might actually work to convince Houston To trade James Harden to Boston Now again I don't think James Harden fits in the culture There that would be like in- interjecting Kyrie Irving which did not work Even with a Tatum that wasn't nearly as Elite as he is now as Tatum's been ranked number 11 by ESPN What does James Harden do with Brad Stevens I mean I, it, I don't think it works But I'm saying that in terms of a package That is where I think the best package could come from in terms of youth talent and assets because Brooklyn has talent, but it's Karis Levert who's I believe is 28 um, Jared Allen, I believe is 27 And then their draft pick to be useless because if you put James Harden, Kyrie, and Kevin Durant on one team By pure talent, they will be in the playoffs making deep runs so their draft picks are pointless And they don't even have a ton of them anyway So definitely I would try to call Boston if I'm Houston I don't know how it works if I'm Harden but it'd be definitely something to watch there now shifting to the ESPN top 100 just for some you know some more quick news they had the Lakers that went into with LeBron and Anthony Davis uh, when I first heard that Anthony Davis was two I knew LeBron was one and my brain was like he's no way 80 not the second best player in the world and then you start thinking you want AD or Giannis Back to back MVP Giannis Well AD can shoot, Giannis can't Defensively there wasn't what AD has a better handle AD has a way better shot AD We don't We don't know what Kevin Durant's like off the Achilles Although the video that the Nets release is to be believed Then Kevin Durant's back to being the second best player in the world Kawhi Smaller than Anthony Davis they shoot about the same, they handle about the same, and defensively they're about the same. Especially now that Kawhi has to carry so much of an offensive load, he can't just sit down in the chair like he used to on people when he was a spur. So AD has the advantage there. AD's better than Luka, especially on both ends of the floor. So it's a case can be made Anthony Davis is the second best player in basketball. So that is a crazy the fact the Lakers have the number one and number two players in basketball. I mean it hasn't been done since they had Shaq and Kobe. In the early 2000's. Now Zion Williamson. Checked in at 19. Now this is the projection going into next season. Zion Williamson checked into 19. Above some notable guys like. Russell Westbrook. And others Paul George he was in front of. And stuff like that. And people were in uproar. Oh my god there's no way Zion Williamson is the 19th best player in the world. He might be top 15. It might be a little low. Because he averaged 24 and 7 last year. In limited minutes. Limited games, but limited minutes with a minutes restriction. If you uncap those minutes, you let him flow like a regular NBA superstar. There's no reason to say that he can't be 27 and 10, 27 and nine. If Diana Williams averages anybody in the league, averages 27 points, nine rebounds, probably four assists because it is, he's just he's a point guard by trade in high school, so he blew up in weight and muscle. 27 points, 9.5 rebounds, and 4.5 and assists is a top 15 player in basketball. Add in the fact that I'm pretty sure the Pelicans are going to make the playoffs this year, barring injuries, situations with him, Ingrams, Lonzo, or Adams. Wow, is he not a top 19 player? 19 best player? I mean, 27, 9.5, and, and 4.5 and is top 15 numbers. So I think the ESPN got Zion correct there. They got Luka correct on number four. Luka's gonna win the MVP this season. All right, that is the easiest bet on planet Earth. If Luka's numbers are what they were in the playoffs and the Mavericks are anywhere above the fifth seed, Luka Doncic will win the player will win the most valuable player award in the NBA. Again, that's like the easiest bet in basketball right now is that Luca's going to win the MVP I'm more confident Luca winning the MVP than I am of the Lakers making the finals not winning it making it so I will Luka at four is very appropriate little contract news Paul George re-signed for five years up to 226 million dollars to remain with the Los Angeles Clippers presumably for the next six seasons This is a huge deal for the Clippers. It's the first time they've re-signed a star of theirs since Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan days. The last person they signed to a mass extension like this was Blake Griffin. So this this is huge for the organization for the Clippers who try and maintain a new era. And this era, they're trying to compete for championships. As for Kawhi, not sure what they does for Kawhi. Kawhi can still up and leave. I doubt it. But it's not like players have not told organizations oh we're gonna be here together for the next seven years and then two years they're breaking up like a Hollywood couple so could Kawhi walk out the door and leave Clipperland high and dry or with Paul George and dry? Maybe I doubt it. Would it be a situation where Kawhi goes look I need Paul George move I need another guy in here because I'm not gonna win with Paul And yeah, I see that happening easy Especially now he's on the contract Instead of an expiring contract He's on the contract for at least five seasons Then it's a great trade asset Because you have a top What is Paul George? 20 player in the NBA On a four to five year deal You're willing to trade a few first round picks To get him Because with Paul George on your team And you have a decent roster You're going to be in the playoffs Probably win a first round playoff series That pick is useless Before he had the double shoulder injuries in OKC, he was an MVP candidate and some people's MVP pick. So now he says he's back with the trainer that he had during that season. So he's ready to come at people. I mean, he said other words, but hey, he's ready to come at people. So I can't wait to see Paul George's response this season. As for Giannis, his contract is due to be signed December 21st. He has, from right now, 10 days to sign his max, super max extension with the Bucks. If he does not sign it by December 21st, it all but shows the world he is not gonna stay in Milwaukee. Or if he does, which he said he doesn't care about the super max, or if he does, he's going to weigh his options first, which is not the biggest crime on the planet. Obviously he's earned that as a two-time MVP. He's earned the right to go look And explore and take meetings with Miami And take meetings with Milwaukee, take meetings with The Lakers, take meetings with Houston, take a meeting With, you know, insert team Here to see what they can offer Outside of money What they can offer basketball lifestyle wise For him and his family Because his family is everything to him And so I think that definitely he's earned the right To look around, So I'm thinking He probably will not sign before the date Um do I think him not signing Before December 21st Means oh Giannis is gone No I think if anything It makes it makes the organization In Milwaukee a little nervous Make him work harder To try and keep him Because if he's signed You breathe You breathe easy you're, You let out kind of big exhale If you're in Milwaukee Ownership and GM Because you know I have Giannis Now on the contract For five years Now could Giannis Force his way out Like Paul George did Sure But it's a situation where I don't think Giannis is that kind of guy. And so signing the contract for him would be a commitment to the team. And by doing that, he would ensure the viability of the Milwaukee franchise for years to come. So he's got about 10 days. So next week on the next podcast, we'll either be talking about, man, Giannis still has not signed that contract. Or Giannis has agreed to the Supermax. What does it mean for the Bucks, Et cetera, et cetera. But up next, we're going to talk about what's going down in the NCAA as they try to fight through COVID. Alrighty guys, and we are back. And now we're gonna talk about NCAA and what they're doing, trying to battle through COVID and the coronavirus. Now, with this situation that's happening with COVID, obviously college football was all over the freaking map. Nobody was together. The SEC and the ACC end up coming the closest together, along with the Big 12. But the Pac-12 and the Big Ten were just completely separate. It was it was utter chaos at a certain point in the NCAA. However, one of the casualties that happened could have been Ohio State not being eligible for the Big Ten championship and presumably being left out of the college football playoff because they would have only played 5 games with no conference championship on their resume it would have been hard to put them in the playoff now are they one of the best four teams in the country yeah we all see that but a resume on a resume a one loss non-champion SEC let's say Texas and M or one Alabama would have a better resume than a 5 and 0 Ohio State team with no conference championship so the Big Ten seeing that and not wanting to be locked out of the playoff because they would have to put Indiana in, who's a good football team, with no playoff chance, however. Not wanting to be locked out of the playoffs, they changed their six-game rule to where the Ohio State Buckeyes can get in the Big Ten championship game, and they're eligible. They're going to play Northwestern. They're probably going to beat uh, the team they play in the conference championship game and move on to the playoffs. Now the issue is This could have been avoided With playoff expansion to eight teams A lot of coaches, and a lot of schools Recommended it, it ended up not happening uh, A couple of big names said they should have went to eight Just even for this season Because you Don't know, situations like Ohio State So if Ohio State, if it was eight The big 10 wouldn't have had to change their rule Because Ohio State would have been one of the top eight They might not have been In the top four They would have been in the top eight And then I had an opportunity on the field to go play football and to try and compete for a national championship game. However, being four, you can get locked out because of effectively a technicality and you decide to have to change your rule and to bend. And now that you know, you had to bend your rules for Ohio State again. All this could have been avoided with the 18 playoff. Now, speaking of the playoff, I have an idea for the playoff anyway. I was thinking that it should be eight teams regardless. Eight teams Regardless of situation, it doesn't matter. Regardless of COVID, non-COVID, eight teams Right. Every Power Five champion gets an automatic bid into the playoff. Now, you don't get an automatic top seed because in my in my playoff, the top four teams would host the first round. So, if Alabama's the one seed, they would host the eight seed in Tuscaloosa. If Clemson is the two seed, they would host the seven seed in Clemson. If Notre Dame is a 3 seed, they will host the 6 seed in South Bend. So the first round would be hosted by the higher seed. And then you would do the semifinal locations like normal. And you would do the championship location like normal. You would just add the first round game, which would be hosted by the higher seed. And then, so, if you're the 8th, if let's say USC wins the Pac-12, but they're ranked 17, Well, they're the lowest ranking of the qualifiers. So they would... Re be re, reseeded as the eight seed and have to go on the road to the number one seed for the first round of the playoff. In my scenario, and then the other three teams will be the three highest ranked non power five champions. So it'd be a situation where, okay, let's say Florida beats Alabama, well, Florida would get uh the automatic bid, but Bama and probably Texas AM would both get in off at largest and then the loser of Clemson-Notre Dame more than likely will get the last at-large bid, and then you how the top eight teams in the country, and guess what? You sell it on the field. Winner takes all. Who's the best team in college football? Another thing with my scenario, though, since you're not involving bowl games, let's say USC does go to Alabama and get crushed, but they'll play it a week after the conference championship games. The Rose Bowl isn't until the first of the year, so... I would allow USC to then turn around and accept the Pac-12 conference's Rose Bowl bid. Now, this would not be a thing for the at-largest. So, you know, let's say Bama, let's say Florida wins to SEC and they lose in the first round. They have the option to go play in the Sugar Bowl. But if Bama loses in the first round and takes A&M, they do not have the option to pick up the Sugar Bowl bid for the SEC. If Florida doesn't, if Florida like is eligible. So if Florida wins and Bama or Texas A and M loses, they get an opportunity at the Sugar Bowl. But if Florida and AM lose, Florida would get the sugar bowl chance if they want it, first come, first serve kind of thing, and then AM would get it after them. So it would be a situation where, you know, you wouldn't be punished. So like right now, if you lose in a semifinal game, your season's done. You know, even if you're the Big Ten champion, you can't go play in the Rose Bowl. But in this situation, my playoff, you would have an opportunity. You could accept the playoff bid, even though you're going to get crushed, get the playoff money, and then turn around and go play in the Rose Bowl or the Sugar Bowl or the Fiesta if you choose to do so. Now, one of the more precipitous falls in NCAA history right now is currently the LSU Tiger football program. They suffered the most losses from a championship team, and it's showing on the field. They went from the greatest team ever to one of the worst teams in Power 5 football. This LSU team is not good. They've had multiple opt-outs. Now Eric Gilbert, their do-everything tight end, who was the highest-rated tight end ever, has decided to opt out and may be transferring. Rumors are swirling now that Ed Ogeron's job could be in jeopardy. Um, They've imposed a bowl ban this season. Most people laughed at it at first, but every team in the country was eligible for bowls because they changed it due to COVID. So, you know, it used to be you had to go um, six wins, but some teams, some schools and conferences were only going to play eight games. So to make sure the bowls had a chance at surviving, they changed the rule. So LSU probably would have got like an outback bowl invitation or a pretty decent bowl invitation, but they decided against it. It is self-imposed a penalty on themselves to not go to a bowl this season. Uh, the defense is historically bad A lot of fans are calling for Bo Pelini's job It's it's The fastest fall I've ever seen From great um, In terms of A college football program Now a lot of extenuating factors were in it You change schemes with no camp Like basically college football Did not have a camp You went from Dave Aranda's scheme To Bo Pelini's scheme on defense with no camp You lost NFL starters everywhere, like literally everywhere, all over the field, offensive line, quarterback, running back, receiver, safety, corner, linebacker, defensive line. You lost NFL starters everywhere. And then Ed Ogeron is appearing to be a better recruiter than football coach or head coach at least. And so he's gonna depend on coordinators. You lost probably somebody's NFL head coach next year and Joe Brady. Who's the current office coordinator for the Carolina Panthers? It was just a lot happening to LSU at once. And so the fall was dastardly. I mean, it was it's been tremendous. And it's still developing every single day on the LSU campus. So that'll be something to watch there to see just how bad the fallout becomes at LSU throughout the offseason. If you know Bo Pelini gets fired, if Elgeron follows him out the door. The new athletic director at LSU did not hire Ed Ogeron. So with Title IX situations happening and a struggling football team, they could push Ed Ogeron out the back door with very limited buyout and fire him for a cause due to the Title IX situation because that kind of thing's in his contract. So that'll be very interesting to watch there. Boosts the LSU enjoy success. They've won three championships in the past twenty years, which doesn't sound like a whole hell of a lot, but when you look at it, outside of Alabama, who's really stacking championships? I mean, USC, I believe, had two. Alabama's got like six because of Nick Saban. Clemson's got what one, I believe, one maybe two. Oklahoma doesn't have any. Ohio State, I believe, has two in the last twenty years. Like it's hard to win championships in college football. So a team with three, the athletic department has used to having success. And so they're not going to stand for this too much longer and so it'll be very interesting to see what the athletic director decides to do and how he decides to play the situation but up next we're going to shift to our best for last which is going to be just a quick discussion on the man of the year lebron james Alrighty, guys, and we are back with our best for last, which is going to be talking about the Time Magazine Man of the Year, LeBron James. Um, over the past year, there's been a lot of social issues in this country coming light uh, with different, very, various things happening around the country that I will not go into too much detail about, obviously. Um, but a guy who's been on the front line of that. For a long time, it's been LeBron James. He's been huge in the NBA. He's been doing it for years now. Uh, not only him, but if you look at other guys across the league, Jalen Brown's of the world, Damon Little's of the world, Steph Curry's of the world, even not just specifically to the NBA with the WNBA which has been standing on that social justice corner for a long time with little respect to their name in terms of what they do they've been on that corner for a long time I mean they dedicated their entire season to say her name and Breonna Taylor and stuff like that so this is huge for uh basketball in general but LeBron James back to him you know he's been doing over the past few years, well, you know, the High Promise School that wasn't this past year, but things like that, the social injustice initiatives. Uh, more than a vote, he's done several things with the election and social justice that has been huge and country changing, involving politicians, involving other athletes, involving musicians and artists and famous people to get behind things like voting and elections. And getting behind social justice initiatives that we have frankly not seen to this scale arguably ever i mean muhammad ali is an amazing person in terms of social justice or was an amazing person in terms of social justice and you know i ain't fighting no Cong, you know viacom never called me the n-word and stuff like that but his reach was limited to the extent of the media had to either show it on television or print it in a paper LeBron James has uh, about 100 million social media followers across all his platforms. He can send out a tweet, he can send out an Instagram post, a Snapchat or a Facebook post, and everyone across the world has access to it immediately. And that sort of outreach is helping him in my opinion jump up to one of the top two or three um, social media and social justice rather uh, people in this country. So it was a huge honor for him, it was a huge honor for the NBA, it was a huge honor for the African American race in general. So that is something that was amazing rather, for him and I'm sure it's one of his most prized awards. But that is all we have for today, um, longest show ever. I hope you guys stuck around, I hope you guys enjoyed. Um, But this is your host Justin Jackson signing out I hope you guys have a great day And like I said this is your host Justin Jackson Signing out